Our gospel this morning is from the eighth chapter of St. John. Now, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you continue in My Word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered Him, But we are descendants of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying, You will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent house in the household. The son has a place there forever. So, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, happy Halloween. I mean, come on now. We love trick-or-treating at the Willie household. I don't know if any of you are going to be trick-or-treating tonight or welcoming kids to your household tonight, or maybe you've chosen against that kind of practice. I don't know, but uh, we love it in large part because we live in an area with lots of trick-or-treaters, kids dressed like, I don't know, pirates and princesses and spider. We eat a lot of spider-men out there and Scooby-Doo's. I love Scooby-Doo. We have our bowl full of 300 pieces of candy. It's ready to go, right, Krista, or something like that? It's just a bunch, and, and uh, we count because we know that it's going to run out by about 7.30 every single year because there are just that many kids who come. And I don't mean to be cheap about it. It's not like we have the greatest candy in the world, but we're only given one piece to each kid, and so that's how we know how many are coming to the door. It's fascinating. But anyway, also, happy Reformation. Very good. Well done. Which marks, of course, the historical birth of the Protestant church when on this very day, October 31st in 1517, Martin Luther inspired a revolution that would change the world in politics and religion and art and philosophy and family structure and education. I mean, little was untouched as a result of this Protestant Reformation, which brought much-needed change and reform to the church, a church that had become almost atheistic and uncaring, quite honestly. So, on October 31st, um, Luther began his own protest by posting 95 theses or arguments against the church, uh, the Catholic church, uh, the teachings of the church, insisting that change was necessary. And as you know, it literally uh, changed the world. It opened the door to religious liberty, to self-government, to pluralism, to public education, widespread literacy. Again, it changed the world. So, in honor of that, you're wearing red today. I don't have any red in my household, so um, I had to bring my own sort of stuff. So, let me hang on. Just give me a break. One second. This is how we'll honor Reformation today. How's that look? Does that work? There you go. All right. Happy Reformation to you. But also in honor, we are having, a, as you may have noticed, a, a little pumpkin contest in Peeler Hall. You can vote for your favorite pumpkin today or throughout the week on social media. Just make your vote count. Um, uh, my, I mean, I, I hear there's another election on Tuesday. That's not the more important election. most important election is this pumpkin election. And I'm not trying to sway you or anything, but let me share with you my contribution to the pumpkin contest. Can I do that? Is that all right? Bear with me for a second because I have to light it and see if this will still work. We can't get this place as dark as it'll be tonight at 7 o'clock, but we'll see what we can do. And you tell me. I'm not trying to say that I have like the best pumpkin. I'm not saying that at all. I mean, you can say that, but I'm not going to say that. All right, you ready? Let's turn out the lights. 
Ooh, dramatic, isn't it? Oh, did it work? We have to turn it your way. Well, yeah, it sort of looks a little weird, but can you see it? Ooh, see, I like that reaction. That's a good reaction. Yeah? Your reaction was not as good as that side's reaction. <laughs> well, there you go. Happy Reformation. We were glad to be able to celebrate. Um, I mean, how would you like to be known as someone who literally changed the world? I mean, it's really pretty amazing, pretty cool, depending on how you change it, I guess. But as we get started today, I'd like to bring to your attention a few others who actually helped change the world as well through their own contribution, through their own actions, people who changed the world in this particular week in history, folks you may not have ever heard of. For example, Vasily Arkhipov. Has anyone heard of Vasily Arkhipov? Interesting, fascinating man. October 27th, 1962. You might remember uh, by either knowing him or through your own history, study of history, that we are in the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Tensions between the United States and the Soviet Union at a, just an all-time high, especially as Soviet nuclear subs, hear that, nuclear subs were making their way to Cuba, just miles, of course, from the Florida coast. Out of concern, the USS Beale sent a warning signal. It was a non-lethal warning signal to the, um, uh, a shot toward one of the Soviet submarines. And the sub's captain, the Soviet captain, assumed that they were under attack. So he ordered his crew to prepare a 10 kiloton nuclear torpedo to be shot in that direction, uh, which would, of course, then unleash all kinds of hell upon earth, not just in that specific area, but probably around the world. Launching the torpedo, though, it would require the, the consent from all three senior officers aboard. The first two voted yes, but Vasily Arkhipov voted no, literally saving the world from an all-out nuclear war. If you had a glass, we would raise it to Vasily Arkhipov, don't you think? Let's do that. Or Christian Fuhrer. Has anyone ever heard of him? Another fascinating man, Leipzig, East Germany. It was October 9th, 1989, and you remember in those days we were still separated, Eastern Europe from Western Europe, East Germany from West Germany, East Berlin from West Berlin, all of that. Um, in fact, in Berlin was a 16-foot or so tall uh, wall that separated the city of Berlin, the Berlin Wall. Führer was a pastor in Leipzig, Germany, a Lutheran pastor of St. Nicholas Lutheran Church in Leipzig that was in East Germany. That September, he held Monday Bible studies that, that focused on the Beatitudes and on Jesus' call for peace. Now, he had been hosting Bible studies since the early 80s on Mondays, but these were very specific studies on the Beatitudes and Jesus' call for peace. And as it turns out, because tensions were so high in those moments in those days, hundreds, sometimes thousands of people would fill St. Nicholas Church, the sanctuary of St. Nicholas Church, to participate in that study. Uh, again, one of the reasons tensions was high is because they were coming upon the 40th anniversary of East Germany on October 9th, 1989. 40th anniversary of the time when the two Germanys were split, or when Germany was split in two, which meant 40 years of fences and walls that separated East from West, 40 years of armed guards patrolling those fences and walls up and down really throughout Europe so that no one could pass, even family members 
members who had been separated now for nearly two generations without being able to see one another. To, to the people of East Germany, it was absolutely nothing to celebrate. They were prisoners in their own country, but government officials were determined to host a massive celebration, a show of strength, and they didn't want a single distraction. And Pastor Fuhrer's Bible study in the middle of Leipzig, it was a distraction. So they sent East German police officers to fill the pews of the church so that no one else could attend the study. So Pastor Fuhrer took the study outside into the streets, just as East Germans were scheduling a massive anniversary um, parade with tanks and soldiers and weaponry. And his only um, command to them, carry only lighted candles and say nothing. So tens of thousands of people, as it turns out, by those instructions alone, tens of thousands of people filled the town square of Leipzig that afternoon and that evening for a quiet, peaceful protest. It was stunning, but also stunning because the police didn't do anything about it. They did not force them to disperse, did not disperse the crowds. And so as a result, their actions inspired similar silent protests in multiple cities and towns in Germany throughout the month of October until amazingly, the Chancellor of East Germany agreed to bring down the Berlin Wall on November 9th, 1989, just one month after those studies began. A year later, East and West Germany were reunited. It's remarkable, isn't it? I mean, just stunning. Three people, Martin Luther, uh, Christian Führer, and, and then Arkeli Antipov, three people who were protesters, they were reformers who boldly and courageously changed the world so that, so that we might open up a door to a, a better tomorrow, a new tomorrow, opening a door to, to something new. Doesn't it sort of feel like we need something like that these days? Don't you think? I mean, I know you're getting tired of hearing people like me say this or us say it collectively, but COVID, my goodness gracious, it has kept the door closed for too long. I mean, I don't know about you, but certainly for me, I felt like we collectively have felt sort of boxed in. We're, we're becoming testy and, and uncertain. Kids have struggled in school. Businesses are having a hard time just to keep employees or to fill positions. Churches are at a 30, are at 30 to 40 percent of uh, pre-COVID attendance, 65%, this is a study that was conducted in September, fascinating, 65% of employees in the United States are looking for a new job. And partisan rhetoric, outrageous, you know about that. Young people are lonelier and more suspicious than ever before. I mean, aren't you ready to open the door to a new tomorrow? I know I am, absolutely. Well, Luther was feeling the same kind of anxiety and pressure and dissatisfaction and, and uncertainty when he was young. I mean, certainly the political landscape and the religious landscape of the early 1500s was very, very challenging and very, very difficult. And Luther was feeling every bit of it. In fact, he called it his Anfuchtung, which in German is, is a word for uh, an overwhelming time of spiritual crisis and distress, of trial, of terror, of doubt, uh, uh, of turmoil. He, he had within himself a strong sense of unworthiness. And so it was an era in his life as a young adult when he just felt absolutely unworthy, and, and he couldn't get his mind out of that place. For, for Luther, it was a deep awareness of his inability to do enough. 
I mean, though, though he would confess his sins, he never knew if he had confessed enough. Though he would pray, he never thought he had prayed enough. There was this crippling fear deep within him that God was just going to bring him into, an et- into eternal judgment at, at any given moment, that God was never going to be satisfied with anything that he would ever do, only filled with anger and with judgment. Now, that might seem odd for you, and yet for Luther in that time, he wasn't alone. Because, you see, one of the challenges that he and really the world faced was that his was a religion of doing, of earning your forgiveness, of earning your salvation, of earning your relationship with God. And yet Luther was painfully aware that that in and of himself there was nothing that he could truly accomplish to, to close the gap between his sinfulness and God's holiness. Luther would just have to find it somewhere else. He couldn't find it deep within himself. I mean, there was just no way. He tried. He, he worked hard at trying to find it and, and respond in a way that might be worthy, he thought. But, but he was going to have to find true hope and assurance somewhere else, and he did. In the Gospel of John and in the writings of, of Paul, especially in Romans, especially these words from John chapter 8 that we just shared. If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you, what? Free. Absolutely. Truth, as it turns out. And I know that we're tricked to believe otherwise, even in our own society, even in our own world today. We're tricked to believe, aren't we, that that truth can be found in our own accomplishments, that truth ultimately is found in our own merit. But Luther discovered through the words of Scripture, that ultimate truth is found only in Jesus Christ. And then from St. Paul, especially his letter to the Galatians, that a, a person is not justified by the works of the law, in other words, by what we can earn, but by faith in Jesus Christ, who himself justifies us, who, who restores our relationship, our broken relationship with God through the power of the cross. It was a mind-blowing discovery for Martin Luther. Now, that might not sound very mind-blowing for you, because I hope that you've heard from this place and in your own studies or in your own pulpits around this world, I hope you're hearing more and more these days that that, that kind of understanding of truth is, 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 is not true at all, <laughs> that in fact we are here thankfully and only because of the grace of God, nothing that we earn, nothing that we merit, but only by the good grace of God. But for Luther... That was a mind-blowing discovery, who in the past, again, thought of Christ only in terms of judgment and that no one could escape His wrath, which is, which is what drove him into such deep despair. It, it, that's what drove him into his unfuktung. But these new discoveries opened his eyes to a brand new light that we, you and I, are justified. We are made right with God, not not through anything that we do, but what God in Christ has already done for us. What a great gift that is, right? I mean, what, what, a, what, a, what a remarkable expression of God's goodness and grace. And so how do you respond? Your mama told, us when it, told you whenever you got a gift, you got to respond, right? With eagerness. And Paul tells us how in Romans chapter 1, the one who is righteous, the one who is justified, the one who is restored in relationship with God, you and me, in other words, you will live by faith, not by fear, but by faith. 
which means to love Jesus just as much um, so, that you, so that you want to live as Jesus lived, to, to be the kind of people that Jesus would have you, to be people of faith, people of hope, people of light, people of forgiveness and grace and joy. Alex was a 12-year-old boy who was, um, had an active side to his personality. A 12-year-old boy, active side to his personality. They just sort of go together, right? More than anything else, he loved football, and he would play it whenever he could. I mean, he hardly would go anywhere without a football in his hands. Well, one day, Alex's mom was going to leave um, the house for the afternoon. She's going shopping, something, I don't know. It was raining outside, so she knew that Alex would be indoors all alone. Alex, don't play football inside. Do you want to finish the rest of the story? <laughs> you know where it's going, right? I mean, you know exactly what's going to happen. She kissed him and left while Alex turned on a replay of Monday Night Football. Not a good decision. And uh, that he had recorded the night before. He didn't even realize what he was doing when he picked up the ball and he started tossing it up in the air. Just gentle tosses, higher and higher. It wasn't long, though, before his team was scoring a touchdown. And Alex got so excited, jumping up and down on the couch. And you know what happened next. Without thinking, he threw the ball into the air. It hit the edge of the couch, headed for his mom's prized vase on the mantle, of course. And the ball hit the vase. The mantle fell from the mantle. Uh, the vase fell from the mantle, hit the hardwood floor, broke into way too many pieces, shattered all over the place. He could not believe it. And of course, he panicked, naturally. He, he knew how much his mom loved that vase. It had been given to her by her grandmother years ago. He couldn't remember exactly the details, only that she loved that vase and always called it a family heirloom. He started to cry. Why didn't I listen? He thought, why do I always do that? Then he started to think. When his mom came home a few hours later, she saw that prized vase, and it was right where she had left it, right up on the mantle where it had always been. But something seemed a little bit different. As she went closer, she knew it was a broken vase that had been glued together. But one thing he could not figure out, she could not figure out, the glue that was between the cracks wasn't white, but it was a, a pinkish red kind of color. She looked around the room and she saw Alex who was standing sheepishly in the doorway, his hand carefully wrapped in a white bandage, and she knew, right, that the blood of the boy's hand had mixed with the glue to form that reddish color, to form what she knew in that moment had become a new treasured vessel, mended together by his own blood. Friends, Here's the truth of the gospel. It is that you and I, we, are mended together by a powerful gift of grace. Through this gift, the Son sets us free. Free. It's nothing that we've earned. It's nothing that we've deserved. My goodness gracious. I don't know about you, but I should be just broken pieces on the ground, broken, never to be restored. But that's not good enough for God. 
It never has been and it never will be. It's not good enough for a God who picks up the broken pieces of our lives over and over again and forms something new. A God who opens the door to a brand new tomorrow, a brand new day filled with opportunity. It's a gift of pure grace, a gift of pure love. For Luther, it absolutely changed his life. A life that from that moment forward would be a response to that great gift of God, a response to that great gift of love. Every moment of every day devoted to sharing the light of Christ with the world, of sharing the light of Christ with the world, of being the light of Christ for the sake of the world. Which, don't you think, is as it turns out the finest way to celebrate Reformation? Don't you think? I mean, for you, and me, for all of us, to recommit ourselves and our own lives, our words, our actions, who we are at home, who we are at play, in our work, in our relationships, in all that we do, to recommit ourselves to being a light for this darkened world as an offering, as an offering of thanks to God, being the vessel once broken but now mended, being the vessel that God created us to be, filled to the brim, overflowing with goodness and grace. All because of this God who is the light of our lives. Amen.